the moment I started to fall in love with the idea of business and understand what business is and how to navigate money and to appreciate money and to look at it as a good thing rather than a hindrance, that's when the game changed. That's when it's like, okay, here we go. right everybody this is it we're wrapping up season one of the future podcast and i just want to say thank you thank you for being a part of this it's been a fun and wonderful ride for me i've learned so much in the process and hope you've enjoyed listening as well when we return in the fall we'll bring you new guests dive deeper into issues that you care the most about now don't worry we'll be converting some of our best youtube episodes into podcasts to keep your brain fed in the meantime now Seeing how it is our season finale, I can't think of anyone better to help us close it out. On this episode, we'll be talking to Lost Boy himself, Ash Thorpe, a man with many talents. He draws, designs, builds 3D worlds, consults for feature films. He's a husband, father, teacher, artist, philosopher, entrepreneur, partner, and all-around good guy. His stories layered and take some time to unravel. Ash shares stories about dealing with the darkness, going off on his own at an early age, and growing up with a family of artists, martial arts, cars, his big break, sacrifice, passion, commitment, the year-long hellish commute from San Diego to Los Angeles in the pursuit of his dreams. You can't talk to him without thinking how thoughtful, intelligent, and intentional he is. Before we dive in, word of warning, swearing is involved. Ash, who are you and how would you describe yourself to others? Um, I always honestly have a hard time introducing myself and probably a bad excuse, but it's mostly because I do so many different types of things that I'm interested in. But mainly I'm known for doing um, work and design on feature films, mainly blockbuster kind of films and stuff. So, um, But I work on video games and all kinds of stuff. And I also run an online education platform with a couple of my buddies called LearnSquared and many other things. But um, yeah, but mostly I would consider myself just a creative person. So, yeah. Okay. Let's contain that a little bit because <laughs> if somebody doesn't know who you are and sure. we'll provide information on that later, Yeah. but if they don't know who you are, I mean, besides you're a creative person working on feature films, put a, I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth. I mean, would you describe it as your emotion designer or your user interface designer? What do you, what do you do? All of them really. Um, everything. I'm just really interested in so many different things. Like today I was designing a car. The day before that I was designing like concept art for my friend's film. It's kind of like a Pixar movie. Um, then I'll go work on like HUDs and UI and design. And honestly, it all appeals to me. I was working on my video game last night and I'm also working on my next big tribute project. So it's like, um, I don't, like I have friends that are like, Hey, I'm a designer and I love that. And I'm going to stick to that. And that's all I want to be known for. And for me, I'm like, I'm just, I love so many things. I can't just do one of those things. And I'm not comfortable and happy with just those one, that one thing, you know? So it's difficult, honestly it is. And that's why I laugh, but it's so true. I have a real hard time, um, really locking it down. So Mm. For most strangers, I just tell I run like a grocery store or something just to kind of like throw them <laughs> off or something. <laughs> That's like my funny joke I do. If I meet like somebody at like a casual party, I'm like, yeah, like a work at a grocery store or something. So, 
I think you're what uh, business uh, advisor consultant Blair Enns describes as the stereotypical creative person. Mm. And he was talking about like it's an oxymoron to say creative focus because creativity, <laughs> the spirit of creativity is the desire to want to do different and new things all the time in constant exploration. Yeah. And that kind of sounds like you. Chasing that wave, um, that constant, um, that ephemeral pursuit really you know something that you would never really be able to obtain you know that flow that energy that bliss that blissful moment of completion of ecstatic excitement of creating something authentically new and unique that's what i'm living for so yeah wow and it's in all different forms you know so if i find it in jujitsu i find it in cars i find it everywhere it's just little pockets of bliss that life is you know blessing me with at every encounter that I can find it within. So, yeah. Mm. Okay. <laughs> We're starting it off. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> we just yeah. go jump straight into the deep end. There's Let's not go. Like, yeah. All right. <laughs> well, I mean, just it's your show. Here. You pick what you want to do. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. Let me try a different tact here. <laughs> Maybe we can talk about your profession as what you get paid to do. Like mm. I have a lot of creative pursuits as well, and who yeah. am I? I mean, pot calling the kettle black. I got distractions upon distractions. Yeah, you're right? qu- you're a quite prolific person, man. I really admire <laughs> all the output you do, man. It's incredible. Well, thank you. No, it's awesome. Yeah. But then, if somebody said, "Chris, what do you do?" Then I kind of resort back to the, "What am I getting paid to do today?" So I'm going to turn <laughs> that on you. Sure. When you describe all these things about designing cars, helping your friends with feature films, mm. I su- assume some of this stuff is paid, some of it's a hobby. So what do you get? paid the most amount of money to do um i get paid the most amount of money as a consultant as a designer hands-on designer to help solve problems and visuals i guess if that makes sense so mm-hmm. um and it's advancing and it's spreading quite dynamically more and more as my abilities um expand so in the beginning it was mostly um designing huds and ui design ui design user interface design inside a film so if you're not familiar with that if you're listening to this and you're like what is that um it's basically technology that lives within the fictitious worlds of films so if there's like a screen or something that interacts it's it's like um for good films it's mostly just like a patina for really bad films it's like a um, story element <laughs> and so um i basically you know digest dissect um scripts and then i take those scripts i turn them into story beat moments that kind of, you know, help lead the story along by using design. And it's a really unique uh, world. And I honestly never really even knew what it was or even considered it or never really thought of it as being like the thing that I'd be known for. But it's kind of ironic and and kind of funny. And I laugh about it, honestly, because it's like, oh, this is something I never really even thought about. You know, so and here you are, and this is what you're doing. That's pretty cool. I suppose so. Yeah. I mean, that's what people um, are, are are telling me they know me for so yeah so but it's yeah, gonna I change think, it's changing so yeah yeah i think if uh, you were to peg somebody like one of my former students or something out like if you know ash what do you know him for and that's what they're gonna say yeah and it's interesting how it's always evolving right so you use this other term a couple of times just in case the people at home don't know you said hud and that stands for a heads-up display right that's correct yeah, yeah. and a, a film that you might have seen this like can you name a couple of films where the hud was a, actually a pretty dominant thing that you saw yeah i would say like um like a a marvel film like iron man or something Mm -hmm. has really great hud work like where it's a it's a a design element but it also becomes like an element of story play you know so 
Um, Ender's Game has a little bit of it. That's a game I worked on, uh, a movie that I worked on. Um, there's mm-hmm. also like Total Recall, not the original Arnold one. It was the uh, second one. So, yeah. So it's it's a lot of that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, I mean, I work on video games too. I worked on Call of Duties and all kinds of kind of stuff like that too. So that's nice. Yeah. So before we get into your process, I want to rewind the tape. I'm going to make a note here in case I forget. <laughs> and I want to talk about your design process for these fictitious interfaces in in this world. Okay. Sure. But let's just take it back. Like, what did you? Um, do or study before you got into the industry? What was it like as a student? What did you do then? You know, originally um, I was studying illustration, I would suppose you would call it. Illustration um, with a slight tinge of design. I was really into like painting and with acrylics and oils and drawing. Um, We'll probably get into it later, but I grew up in a very creative household and so it was kind of like that's where it all began again. And that's what I studied um, primarily was that was my main focus. I was kind of thinking about, I was really um, unaware of my own potential. I didn't believe in myself necessarily all that much. And um, we'll call, you know, you mentioned wanting to do that trigger moment and we'll talk about that. But, um, and I'm not trying to say that people that don't believe in themselves become teachers, but there's a saying that I remember somebody saying that like, um, Felt professionals become teachers or something like that. And I always like felt like it hurt because there's mm. some honesty to that. Cause mm-hmm. all the teachers that I remember having, not all of them, there were some really amazing ones that were just incredible and giving, but a lot of them just felt like they were just like, um, on the wayside of life kind of just going along, didn't take a risk on themselves and decided to teach because that was the stable government paid job. So I digress, but, um, yeah, mainly- it's kind of like the idea that, they couldn't make it in the real world, so they this is like their fallback plan or something like that, right? When you say that, a hundred percent, and that was yeah, where okay. I was. That's what I, my focus was. I was going to go. Okay, I'm going to go and teach art because I had grown up thinking that, you know, I, I was surrounded by amazing artists. My mom is incredible. My brother, my grandma, all these people that are just insanely good and way better than I was, especially at the time. And they didn't figure out a way to make it work to to pay the bills to live in it. To, to to do um, to to be a creative person for a living and and um, I always thought well if they can't do it then there's no way I can do it and so I oh, figured I see. and I figured okay maybe I can teach then maybe that would be the thing you know maybe so I growing up off. yeah you saw people that were supremely creative your mom your brother your grandma but they weren't doing that as a profession no no they weren't they um they had had brushes with it in, in parts of their life but um. I don't know what necessarily separates us and I wouldn't want to assume and, 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 you know, like my grandma no, is no longer with me. So I don't want to like insult her or anything like that and, and, and claim I know. But for the most part, I think a lot of it was due to just like, um, you know, there wasn't a market for it or, um, you know, hack, happenstance, like, or, you know, like family, um, there's a million excuses. Right. Right. You know, so, um, but for me, it was just like, nah, this, uh, I, once I hit that trigger, I was like, there's no going back. You got to go mm. forward. And in the moment you look back, this is, that's when it gets scary. Cause you know, it's a big giant, giant black hole <laughs> of doubt and, and fear, you know, that consumes right. you. So now, do you remember how old you were when you became aware of that thought? Uh, the fear? No, just like 
art is a place that you don't go because everybody around me who's very talented isn't making it. Oh, I'm very young. Wouldn't you, yeah. like, do you yeah. remember what age you were? I, to be honest, I have a horrible memory, um, mm. but I remember it uh, quite vividly as a young child, you know, um, just observing, you know, and, and it was an internal thought that I think became a fear that I kind of, you know, a lot of times I think you go through life and you have these experiences and you, and you experience these things and whether you accept them or you cognitively um, understand them, uh, for me, that was just like something that had happened at a young age that I just kind of, I was aware of, but it was a fear that I was trying to blind, you know, so. Mm. Well, you and I have that in common, that's for sure, for different reasons, though. You and that you had artists in your life that, that weren't making it. My whole thing was my entire family is computer scientists, engineers, doctors, lawyers, you know, that kind of thing, like respectable people. <laughs> and the pursuit of art was something that nobody overtly said, or nor did I have an example where, where I saw somebody fail. Mm. The closest thing I could think of is my uncle, who was a supremely talented painter, and he got into drugs and things like that, and they, he got all messed up. So I was like, oh, that's a bad association. Sure. And those things kind of burn inside your brain, Yeah. and you start to close doors that only you can open. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, you have to enter those life-changing portals, I guess you would consider them. And um, mm -hmm. yeah, it, it takes a tremendous, um, I mean, this isn't, it's kind of silly to say because it's art and we're, you know, it's kind of silly to be like, it's got such merit, you know, but at the same time, it, to me, art is life and creativity is my life and existence. And the reason why I exist and, and breathe every day is to get up and to create. So it's very important to me. Um, and I, you know, yeah, it's it's a very uh, it's a big it's a tall order to to decide to do this. I think I really believe yeah. so. Yeah, I get the feeling that this is going to be a really good deep meaty conversation. So you guys that are listening in, <laughs> go get yourself a cup of tea or something like that. You know, slip into something comfortable, and I, I just get that feeling. I don't know if it's because it's nighttime or just hmm. how cerebral you're being right now. It's it's pretty cool. I'm, I'm feeling the vibes. I just want to say that. the energy that you've been putting out with all the th content that you've been making is having a very positive effect. And it was quite, it was quite awesome. I have a, a group of friends that I've known for a very long time. They're very dear to me. They're brothers basically. And we get together once a month or so and we spend the day together and we cook and hang out and just do like, just live. Basically we go hiking and just really enjoy things because life is just so busy. We all have families and we're all quite consumed and they had randomly mentioned you and I was like, yeah, I know Chris. And they're like, what? And I was like, yeah, I had him on the podcast. Like, oh, no, you did? Oh, wow. Like, so they, it was really, it was pretty, it was, it made me feel pretty special. Like, I know cool people. Wow. There you go. Yeah. And so I just wanted you to know that they, um, they're big fans and they wanted me to tell you that they really appreciate the positivity and the output that you're doing because it's, you know, it's, it's rare. It really is. And, and, and it's, um, it's really great. So. Yeah, and we'll get we'll get cerebral. That's just kind of how I am. I think when wow. you were on the show with me, we got a little cerebral too. We so. did, but now I'm the guest, so you're definitely gonna go deep with me. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I don't have to worry about all. the questions, you know. So. <laughs> yeah, it could just be you, right? Exactly. I'm, I'm yeah. thankful for you saying that, and it 
I think you must feel the same way when somebody that you look up to or somebody that's a, a peer or somebody you respect in the industry who comes out and says, you know, keep it up. Yeah. And they don't always, they're not verbose about going on and on about that, but somebody like you or someone like your friends or people that I, who, who were um, teachers at Art Center mm-hmm. who would say something to me, like, keep it up. Your peers. Yeah, yeah they pump you up, man. Yeah. It's like, wow. All right. It's, it's we good, can do man. this. It is. It's good to have that because, um, you know, this is a choice. You're not getting paid from this. This is something like a curious hobby. At least I don't think you are. I mean, maybe you are, but it's more like a curious hobby, you know, and it's something that you're yeah. doing on the time that you have for other things like sleeping or spending time with family or whatever. It's a choice that you make. And so, yeah, you, you deserve the, um, the praise and the ushering of, come on, you know, continue doing what you're doing. And, and that, I just, I thought I'd share that moment with you because I thought it was quite beautiful. <laughs> I was like, this is great. I was I like, yeah, I know Chris. And, and I mentioned how like you helped me out when I asked you for some, you know, advice and feedback on how to deal with some stuff that I was having difficulty with. It was just, mm-hmm. it was just beautiful. And I really appreciate that too. So yeah, man, there you go. You know, our, our worlds are colliding and I like that. It yeah. just means that our, there, there's more overlap and, And I think, if anything, I just want to put it out there that you, me, Nick Campbell, Joey Corman, and uh, Michael Jones, we're kind of in this creative education space. Yeah. And we're all talking to each other, and it's lovely. And there isn't any kind of weird, like, oh, let me hoard the secrets. No. There aren't any, and the pie's big enough for all of us just to nibble on, and it's more than you can ever eat, right? No, exactly. I really appreciate that, too. Um, And you mentioned Nick Campbell. I mean, yeah, he's a... Um, I would consider him like a casual friend. I haven't met him in person. Um, mm-hmm. We've talked briefly on the phone and we text message from time to time. I know he's quite busy, but yeah, I, I love the idea that we live in the same market. But to me, it's like, I don't care. Why would I want to argue and fight with you or try to... That's when stuff gets wrong and becomes bad. And I'd love to talk a little bit about that at some point in this conversation. Too, yeah, I want to make I, a note of that. I've been encountering um, studios and just people in general that are really gross like that and they're trying to control people and their work and what they do and how they show it and i just feel that's like that's backwards and yeah i'm speaking out about it because i just (laughs) i have a huge problem with it so yeah great yeah (laughs) Uh, i love that anything you're fired up about we're i just made a note here to talk about competition oh great yeah it's there all right let me let me take it back though like i think we've splintered into 100 pieces let me pull it back There's this notion about you studying illustration. Is this a formal thing or is this something that you did on your own? Yeah, this is a formal thing. I was um, I was in college at the time. I was in Palomar College down here in San Diego, northern San Diego. And um, there was an instructor there in the beginning of learning from him. I was like, yeah, yeah, get out of here. You know, like uh, he was like trying to paint on my paintings. I was like, no, no, don't touch my stuff. You know, I didn't trust anybody to touch my work. Up until then, I was very stubborn about people touching my work or giving me critiques because I was just like in my own little shell. But he broke through that and he eventually showed me how to actually paint properly with techniques and um, give a little shout out to my my instructor, Chris Palence, and my mentor at the time. And so he he was really awesome. And, and ironically, you know, you're really closely tied to the art center. And he actually was an instructor there on the weekends. And so he was kind enough to bring me along on the weekends. I'd get up at like four o'clock in the morning, which is unheard of for me because for people that don't know, I stay up until four o'clock usually <laughs> and I have for the longest time. So um, we would get up and go there. And so he, he was my instructor and, and I was formally taught through him uh, and, and acrylics and I really loved it. And that's what I really wanted to do in the beginning. But then I started to realize just how difficult and how challenging and how 
I don't think I had it. So I went off to do design. <laughs> yeah. Mm. I, I, oftentimes I find a lot of like, Oh, what are you artists? Okay. And I, I'm a failed artist. So now I'm a designer. <laughs> right. It's, it's an easier thing to control than the, the, the ambiguity and the em, em, enormous enormity of mastering drawing and mastering painting and mastering artistry of that caliber. It's just the, um, the, the, the amount of time, I'm not trying to take anything away from design. I'm just saying that I found design to be much faster of a learning curve for me personally. So, yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. Well, maybe that was your true calling because I hear about illustrators like, oh, I just can't figure out that design topography. <laughs> it's true, I yeah. I just can't figure it out. So abstract, you know? Yeah. Whereas uh, when you do something figurative, there's anatomy you can fall on and it, the proportions are supposed to be a certain way. And type can be an abstract beast uh, that's not tamed by many people. Yeah. But it sounds like you had a really special relationship with this instructor. I mean, yeah. I can't imagine somebody saying, you know, kid, come with me. I'm going to go to art center. <laughs> and this is where, you know, I'm going to show you into this other world. Yeah. I, you know, I'm a pretty intense guy. And I think he saw it right away that I was like, hey, you know, once he could figure out how to, to communicate with me, um, it was over. You know, it was like, okay, this guy is, he's not joking around. He's intense. He really wants to learn. He's not like, you know, because you've ever had a community college or college in general, for the most part, I'm not trying to be a dick, but a lot of them are just derelicts that are just kind of like, hmm, dope de doe and they're passing through life. And for me, of course, I was a dummy at times, but at the same time, I was very serious about getting better. We'll get into it, obviously, later, but I had moved out at 14, so life was serious quite quickly. And you don't, like, mess around. It's time to learn, time to grow, time to get better. So, I mean, I'm very fortunate for him, and him and his family are just incredible people and they've helped me out um in many ways and stuff and he's just uh yeah he's he's, he's awesome you know like he, when people go out of their way and they take a risk on you and they help you out um, the best way to pay them back is to succeed i think and I'm, hopefully he's proud You mentioned this a couple of times and just talking about it like you're an intense person. What does that mean? Oh, um, everything is turned up to a million, you know, all the time. I, I, I talked with my wife about it the other day. I feel bad to, for her because she's not like that. And to live with somebody that's this intense all the time has got to be incredibly draining, you know. So it's like um, everything is uh, its either on or off, you know. Mm -hmm. You're either in it or you're not. And um uh, yeah, it's just kind of a bummer. <laughs> I wish I had a better balance, honestly. Um, but I feel like my best work and the best me exist in that realm of insanity. Um, maybe that's just because it's a habitual thing and I haven't discovered perhaps, um, in my maturity as I develop as a human being, I'll discover that I can be just as powerful within, you know, um, moderation. But until then, um, kind of stuck with this. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. if I'm to, to kind of try to interpret this, there's a couple ways I can, I'm hearing what you're saying. Hmm. One is that the intensity is the high highs and the low lows. Yeah. Or is it whatever you find to do, you just don't know anything but to go at full speed. So it's like you're totally detached from something, like you don't care and you put no energy into it. Or if you're doing your work, you look up and it's four in the morning and you don't know what happened to the time. All of those all those okay <laughs> all at once and different variations too so it's mm. just like yeah I, I feel very blessed that i know what i love and i've found my passion quite early in life and i think that's an incredible advantage to have and 
um, I capitalize on that every day with like intensity and um, uh, just like a warrior spirit, I guess. I don't know. It's probably the weirdest thing to say about doing art, but yeah, <laughs> or being creative, but that's my approach. So yeah, mm-hmm. seems to work. Um, it, it leads to burnouts and odd things and weird uh, I wouldn't say depressions, but it does get you in those dark realms when you're not able sure. to hit it, you know, because so, it's an, right. it's it's a dopamine drop. It's a it's a adrenaline hit. It's all these things that are happening and that stuff becomes quite addicting, you know, so. Well, I think some of the best art is made under those circumstances. Yes. I'm oddly the opposite of you, which is even killed, like just slow but steady. Okay. I'm a marathon runner, you know, <laughs> and so sometimes I would look at classmates like, wow, you just you just burn with that kind of intensity and. I hate to do this, but there's like a Blade Runner reference in here that I want to pull out. Yeah. How, like, Rutger Hauer's talking to Harrison Ford. No, no, I'm sorry. It's his creator. Uh, I forget the guy's name, but, and he talks to Rutger Hauer and he's like, you know, but you're brilliant. You're perfect. And uh, a candle that burns twice as bright mm-hmm. will burn twice as fast. Yeah. And so you, you kind of live in that, right? Yeah. You're chasing that. And when you hit it, it's amazing. And life is beautiful. When you don't, it's like the opposite of that. Yeah. That's a great scene, too. Um, yeah. I and totally that's a great it. no 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 it's, <laughs> but it's a, it's, no but it's a great it's a really beautiful moment too in that yeah. film and i think it's uh so it's it's a perfectly said and it's very quite poetic that film's filled with a lot of poetry um mm-hmm. it's just wonderful sci-fi which we had that still yeah. but it's awesome really appreciate that film but you know it's absolutely true um i think yeah. that's that's it and that's me to a t really um and yeah. so if somebody's listening to this and saying I identify with what Ash is saying. How do you moderate some of the low lows? I mean, it's fine to be in the high highs. That's mm-hmm. wonderful. Yeah. You know, when you go dragging into the darkness, if you will, how do you pull yourself out? You got any advice for people? Um, you guys surround yourself with good people that love you and care for you and aren't out for anything other than your, your goodwill. You know, as I mentioned, um, my close friends, um, that I spend time with, those are my, uh, just like my wife, those are the people that guide me in the dark times. They remind me of who I am and what I'm doing. And I think that, um, I couldn't do it alone. And these are the people that really, uh, they help me be the best that I can be. I cannot be who I am by myself. And I owe my success to the people that I love and that are around me and they're in my immediate circle. Um, I think that's really the key. I couldn't do it by myself. There's dark times that I've had um, many in the past and just dealing with that and trying to get through it, it becomes quite, quite difficult to be honest. But having the love and the care of those around you, honest love and care, I think that's the, the most important thing. And being a good enough person to surround yourself with those kind of people, I think that's the trick, the key to life. Yeah. Is there anything that they say or do that really helps you to reset? Uh, that's a great question. Um, for the most part, they just hear me out and they hear my, you know, my gripes or my issues and, and my qualms. And then they just remind me that I'm, I'm doing my best and that I, and then, you know, life isn't going to be perfect and I shouldn't expect it, but that, you know, to continue carrying on. And, you know, for the most part, they just listen to me and it's so dynamic and every day is a different problem, obviously. But, um, there's no one word uh, I wish there was, you know, like, can you just say that one word? And, you know, but it, it, there isn't really. And it's because um, it's like Moore's Law with me. So it's an exponential growth. So it's like um, things spin out of control faster and more rapidly at a heavier rate. So everything's more dynamic and some things just need to be like 
you know, checked in a different way. So it, it's constantly changing and there's no real trigger point really other than just them, you know, just helping me basically and reminding me that I am a good person and I am trying my best and that they love me and, and um, they're here for me, you know, and I think that's, you know, uh, I feel so blessed to have that in my life on a daily basis, you know, so. Well, that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's very important, you know, and, and having that I think is, if you don't have that, you need to find it. I think that's really important, you know. It's I think that's something that yeah, I think that's something that people can listen to and hear and say, like, okay, I need to make sure I've got that good network yes. to fall back on to catch me when I fall. Yeah, you need that uh, good good quality, genuine people that are really um, they love your company and they love who you are. But at the same time, they're not sycophantic or weird, and uh, they want to be around you in the healthiest way to see you succeed and, and grow and develop. You know, that's the key. Mm. Okay, now moving along the timeline here. Yeah. So you're you're going to Palomar studying illustration. You <laughs> develop formal painting skills. Yeah. So what led you into design? What's the next major point? Yeah. So I was working. I was. I was. Uh, so I moved out 14. I've been on my own for a while now. I'm in college, and then so I'm I'm learning from Chris how to paint with acrylics, and then I I go to Cal State San Marcos, which is pretty close by, and I really did college because my uh, my dad was like, you got to go to college. He was really worried about me just failing, and I was like, man, I'll be fine, you know. And so I did that because he wanted me to make sure I had a fallback degree. And you know, as a parent, I see why he did that because you know you just want your kids to succeed. And I, so I basically went to college for him. Um, at that point, I had kind of like, eh, I don't know, and I really wanted to be an artist, but I would see like you know artists like Jeff Soto and. Um, um, Ian Francis and all these incredible artists that I would follow. And there's this magazine called Juxtapose at the time. So the, you know, this is before like the internet was really like dominating as it is now. Like you don't even read those magazines really because it's all on Instagram or whatever. Um, so those were like, you know, the main hubs. And I was like, I don't know if I'm as good as them. And, and, uh, I started getting more information about how the business works, how like, you know, you do, you can do a painting and however long that takes you to do the painting, then you sell it at a, at a gallery if you're lucky and they make 50%. And I was like, wow, that's really like difficult. How do I, <laughs> how do you even do that? Because your time's spent almost, if you're really in, 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 if you're really interested in your art and really devoted to it, it's going to take you entire amounts of time to, to like, you know, create a painting or something that's worthy of selling. And, um, you know, and you have to build that clientele up and you have to build all that stuff up. And for, so there's years of you just kind of going, running the paces and making, you know, I don't know, uh, thousand dollars a month or something like that. And I, I, I like, I will, maybe I can interject some cars stuff in here, maybe a little bit too, just to kind of turn things up and ramp it up. But, um, during that process, I was like, I don't think I want to want to be a painter. I don't think it would necessarily be what I wanted. And I didn't want to live that like, you know, desperate, um, hard, hard life. I didn't have the tools. I didn't have a life coach. I didn't have these books that I read now to remind me and to help me through these stages. I probably would have figured it out had I had these tools, but, um, so I decided, um, yeah, I'll do design. I discovered David Carson's work and I was like, Hey, this guy's pretty cool. Looks like I could probably do this kind of stuff. And I started trying it. I was like, Hey, this is not too bad. It's pretty close. And then I started learning about the grid systems and my interest in that became really interesting and um and then i started doing like designs for like this wake wakeboard company because living down in san diego you're um completely surrounded in action sports is where like the hub of it skateboarding surfing wakeboarding all that kind of stuff is kind of it's right here and so there's a ton of uh, need for the art 
with like boards or graphics or t-shirts or all that kind of stuff and so uh, I started kind of just doing dabbling with that working um, at places to, to do that kind of stuff facilitate those kind of design needs and that's a blend between like doing catalog layout stuff which I had no clue of how to do all the way to like designing print ready boards with sublimations and all kinds of fun technical stuff that I really hated to do <laughs> um, learning all that stuff and, and so um, yeah that's kind of where it all went I just kind of fell into where the money was which was in design and it was in the action sports industry down here in San Diego. There's no real like movie industry or any other kind of industry for people that don't necessarily have a strong desire for it. You kind of just fall into that kind of pocket, I guess. And yeah. And then there, there was a big switch that happened, but I don't know if you want me to talk about that just yet. So, well, I, I think <laughs> we can take it wherever you want to go. Eventually we got to get to you doing what it is that you do now and it, this is interesting. I, I didn't know all this stuff about you. So mm -hmm. your illustration, you're like, okay, you know, what? I'm not going to do that. Yeah, I got to go do design. And I didn't know David Carson was one of your early influences. He was one of mine too. Yeah. So I suspect we're very similar in age, or at least came to the design consciousness about the same time. Yeah, definitely. Um, so let's see, I graduated 2002. I really hit my stride of loving design. Um, 2005-ish, probably. I'm not sure. Maybe around there, somewhere around there. Yeah, David Carson, uh, I'll just say the thing about David Carson which really appealed to me was his cleverness, his wittiness, and his originality. And when everybody was swimming one way, he said, I'm going this way. And when everybody was like, you know, the grid, this and that, the rules, 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 and he was like, nah, I'm breaking them all. And I love that. That was, to me, it was like, awesome. And I, and I didn't necessarily love all his work and, I'm, and his work isn't designed to be loved at all times. That's what's beautiful about it. But I just loved his, uh, the way that he was approaching things. And uh, I just felt to be, I felt it was just very iconic and, and, um, it was a big inspiration, not only just the design sense, but the artistry behind it and the originality and the thought that really got my mind thinking about what design could possibly be. It wasn't just like, you know, a menu at a Thai food restaurant or a sign off the side of the freeway. It was, about making expressions, about talking about something, about um, making a you know a point. There was this one case study I remember reading about with him as an interview. Is that he was uh, he did this interview with like a surfer I think for Raygun or Transworld or something. I think it was Raygun, and the interview just turned out to be kind of like he wasn't really interested. as like blah, and so what he did is he just turned the whole thing into wingdings, you know, like the like the symbols type. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> he was like, this is pointless. I don't want people to read this, so he just did that and then he released the magazine with that and i just i thought it was just so punk rock you know i i grew up in that kind of like the punk rock kind of scene in, the, in that world and i just thought that was so cool you know <laughs> I just, he's definitely with i mean it's uh, the guy must have been pissed and it must have been kind of like a shitty thing but at the same time he was just willing to take that that risk to do it and again design transforms and becomes something else more personable and more interesting and yeah just something to kind of i don't know think about i guess so well, that was an interesting time to be alive as a graphic designer, that topography was celebrated, and the more irreverent and flippant he was, the more he was applauded for it. Yeah, and hated, you know? I imagine, too, and yeah. despised. Yeah. And, um, well, I think you gotta, you got to mess up a lot to like really have some of those breakthroughs, right? Of course, yeah. Um, success yeah. is many failures, you know, push through many mm -hmm. failures. So, unfortunately, we all want to just succeed, right? It's so romanticized in this country and the world in general. <laughs> to be the best but um yeah no definitely so that was uh, being around his art studying his art um observing his art 
uh, well, I, I guess I would call it design. I don't know. I have a weird thing with definitions and my, you know, I, <laughs> I'm quite funny about my thoughts on these kind of things, but, um, but yeah, it was a lot of that stuff. A lot of David's work I felt was very interesting and, um, was very fascinated by it. And, um, yeah, it was just a lot of that kind of stuff. And, and there was other designers and stuff, none that I can think of at the moment because my memory is so bad, but I know I can see their work quite clearly in my head. Um, but yeah, I'd realized that I just couldn't, I don't think I could have cut it as a, as an illustrator. And I, and before all that, I really wanted to be an artist. I wanted to be like a Frank Miller or a, a, an artist for comics. I grew up loving comics and I really wanted to do that so much so that as a kid, I used to go to San Diego Comic-Con. I'm totally dating myself in this because, um, this is before like movies and games were there. It was just comics only. And you would do these things called, like, it was like the artist alley and you'd bring your portfolio. Sure. And you'd bring your work and then you'd get critiques from um, like professionals, you know, editors and inkers and pencilers and stuff and just people in the industry. And I remember being like 14 years old, reading my shitty drawings with me down there and having them go, you're doing good, kid. Just keep it up. You know, like, what are you going to tell me? I'm 14. You're not going to you know? <laughs> But it was, I remember those like, you know, those, those iconic moments and um, just really, you know, damn, you know, how am I going to do it? And I'm looking at my art and just feeling like I suck, you know, like, um, I, I guess at the time my art was okay, but it was just, I was very hard on myself. I wanted to be very good instantly. I didn't want to, um, wait, you know, for that to happen. So that was kind of like a, another thing that I wanted to do, but I wasn't able to, and that's yeah. why I do the lost boy thing. I think it's just like a selfish ambition to be like, I can do this, you know, <laughs> Yeah. Well, now that you tell that story, it makes perfect sense. I don't know why I didn't figure it out before. Mm. It makes complete sense. And <laughs> I, I'm older than you, so I, I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> when when Comic-Con was just about comics, and yeah. there's so many people, myself included, that are kind of like failed comic book artists. You know, we were, I wasn't good enough, and I didn't want to put in the time and energy to get that good. Oh, yeah. It's so much time and energy. It's crazy amounts of time and energy. For me, I, I guess, like you said, the calling was design just clicked with me. When I saw David's work, it's like, oh, yeah, I get it. It makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Like when I see other artists, like other designers, like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. It's pretty easy. Yeah. You know, like I just, it makes complete sense. But when it comes to um, comic formations and, and panels, sequence, sequential art, and, you know, I look at work from like Otomo or Frank Miller, these masters, of course, they're going to be great because that's what they dedicate their life towards. But, it's just when you look at your own art and you compare it to these gods, I guess, it's like, wow, I'm so far away from being any way even close to as good as this. And it's just demoralizing. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's just kind of unfortunate. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, okay, let's switch gears here. No, yeah. Let's, let's get you to um, when you landed at Prologue. Mm-hmm. I'm probably skipping over some good stuff. Sure. But if, if you want to, we go back and then you can tell me. But... Hmm. I, I have heard stories about how you were this crazy guy who commuted from San Diego to Malibu. Like I drove from, where was I at that time? I think I was in the Pacific Palisades or even uh, Venice. Hmm. And that was a long drive just to go to Malibu. I was like, oh my God, what the it never ends. <laughs> you know. But then here you are like driving from San Diego. So tell me how, about how you got that opportunity and what was really like, because I don't want to uh, set up the scene the wrong way. So yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, so really quickly, yeah, I was working at jobs doing design work. I wasn't really feeling completely like I was living to my potential. So I decided to take three months, um, on the off hours to go and build a portfolio, looking at all the work that I admired 
and I decided to build myself a portfolio because I wanted to change. I talked about that switch. I wanted to change in my life. I wanted to give myself one last hurrah. I failed at being a painter. I failed at being a comic book artist. I didn't necessarily because I didn't really necessarily try, but in my heart, I felt like I let myself down. So I was like, I'm going to give it one more big try. This is my last big effort, you know, and if it wasn't going to work out, then so be it. I would just, you know, assimilate and go and do my own just become a normal person and you know whatever and so uh i took those three months and i you know i don't know how it worked but i was just like i'm determined you know i was like this is it i'm gonna make this freaking happen um sorry if i don't i'm not sure if i can swear but um i guess that's yeah fine. you can say whatever you want okay to. fuck yeah <laughs> <laughs> i have to let you loose <laughs> yeah get me off the chain but um so yeah. yeah so i built up this portfolio and then i sent it out to like i don't know 100 200 different um studios and I got two replies. One was from a studio just saying thank you and they didn't need any help at this moment. And then another one from Prologue. And I was like, wow, okay, well, Prologue was the one I wanted to work for anyways because they were the one at that time just doing the most incredible stuff. They were doing, in my opinion, all the best work that I wanted to be attached to or part of. You know, So I was like blown away. I go up there, I do the interview. They're like, okay, Ash, we like your work. We're gonna, we were willing to hire you as a junior designer. I say, okay, thank you. And they didn't know at the time I had to take in the sick day off to drive up there to do the interview. And they didn't know at the time that I actually was working at a company and I was in San Diego. And um, so I had a, before I even committed to that, I had a long talk with my, um, I believe, uh, I don't know if we were married at the point or we were very newly wed, um, my wife Monica and I, Mrs. Thorpe. And it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was a tough, it was. Oof, that was a tough conversation, man. That was tough because she was worried that it was just going to, you know, it was ever gonna, everything was going to fall apart. I was going to disappear because, you know, it's a big commitment. And I, um, I got her to agree to just letting me do it for a year. Just give me a year, please. You know, and she knew she couldn't tell me no. She knew that it was once the opportunity, she was just like, she loves me and she wants me to be around her and my daughter, you know, so, and rightfully so. Um, and so, um, yeah, I took the opportunity. I quit my job that I was at, um, that I was happy with, but I wasn't, I was content. I think that was the word, but I wasn't, Mm -hmm. I wanted more. And so I quit that job and then, uh, yeah, so (laughs) I want me to break down the day for you, how it works for a year. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But okay. Before you break down the day, because that's pretty insane. Yeah. So you're working at this job. It's a full-time gig. Yep. But in your heart something spoke to you and said, I want more. Mm. What did that, what was that that was saying to you? Like, what, what, what more did you want? Uh, I was just looking at all my past failures. You know, I did, I failed at, you know, wanting to become a comic artist. I failed at wanting to become an illustrator, a painter. Um, they were constantly mocking me every time I would watch a movie or constantly mocking me every time I would see a great piece of art. I would think, well, what the hell, you know, well, why can't I? And, 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 and it's a shame that I, I haven't been able to um, pursue it, you know, and I, I have nobody to blame but myself. And so it was mainly just internal. I felt really just like, damn, you know, like I've let myself down, you know. I see. So, I, so it's like you owe it to yourself to see if you can make it and you never really gave it that try and this was it. Yes, yeah. And you said that in your mind, this, this is, this, I was going to take three months, do this thing, and if not, then fine, I'm going to have to deal with the consequences, but yeah. I'm just going to go for it. And it's amazing that you actually sent your work out to 
200 studios. I didn't even know there were 200 studios for you to send the work out. Yeah, to. I sent to everybody, anybody and everybody, wow. agencies, um, little shops, big shops, um, <clears throat> everything from Fox, you know, like I just sent it to everywhere I could find an address. Um, because I was like, Hey, uh, do you need help? <laughs> can I, how can I help you? You know, like, and uh, to be completely honest, my work wasn't to snuff. It wasn't up to par. I, I don't blame people for not wanting to hire me. It wasn't a powerful tool for them to use in their machine, you know, at that mm -hmm. time. And I really just, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm forever in debt to Kim and Kyle Cooper for taking me in. Cause like, yeah. you know, like they, they are the ones that accepted me and that was just a big deal, you know? And I, I was like, you'll, you guys won't regret it. You know, it was like, I am dedicated, you know? And yeah, man, it was intense. <laughs> just thinking about it kind of like, it doesn't bring tears to my eyes, but it gets me emotional thinking mm. about it a little bit. Just thinking like, damn how intense that was because my life since then has been a blur. Cause I'm just firing going forward. I'm barely, rarely looking backwards. So Yeah. Okay, so getting that opportunity to them seeing something in you that 200 other studios didn't see. And let's be fair, though. Whether your work was up to snuff, as you describe or not, chances are it never even got in front of the right person. Like, we know how that is now, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Where it's like where they were a small enough shop and then they were desperately looking for talented people to work with. And I know something about Kyle. There's, you know, he's a friend of mine. He he does things that I don't love, and he does things that are amazing. But when I say it from like um, how he runs the company, yeah. But the one thing that you can't take away from him is he can see talent, and he can see just like if you could just do one thing really well, and he needs that, he'll overlook everything else. Yeah, he does, That's and he's it. willing to go for it. Yeah, no, Kyle has an incredible eye, um, one of the best. You know, like working alongside of him, and I think what it was that. I asked him and um, I actually asked Kim because Kim, I think, was the one that had pulled the plug to hire me is they needed um, somebody that could draw the illustration abilities. And, and I had in my portfolio, which I'm very blessed and thankful. I didn't just put my designs in there. I put my art, my drawings, too. And um, at the time they had like they had some illustrators, but it was like Chris Sanchez, um, a friend of mine. He was there. And he was, you know, another artist as well. And and before that, I think Ollie Moss was working there like for a month before I started to. And are you familiar with Ollie Moss's work? No, no, no. He's pretty infamous in the world of design. He did like, mm -hmm. there's a lot of these really beautiful posters, kind of like Saul Bass style. But um, he's, he's, he's pretty massive now. But at the time he was just working at Prologue. And um, so it was just like kind of the three of us. As illustrators, I would say that everybody else is incredible designers, you know, just mm -hmm. the world class, some of the best I've ever seen in my life, like sitting next to them. But yeah, I think it was um, that I had variety in my, my portfolio. It wasn't just design, it was a variety. And, and the illustration and the drawing, as bad as I might have thought it was, um, Kim thought it was great and are good enough to, to bring me on to, to help, you know, because Kyle had a lot of cerebral kind of ideas and oftentimes design or there's no you know there's no photos on the internet to to, to kit bash together sometimes you need to draw them and so i think he needed that skill set and, and his hand you know so yeah at least right. that's what i think it was yeah so no that's was, gotta be what it is probably my good looks probably number one i'm just joking <laughs> yeah <laughs> but no i think it was it was that that's what kim had mentioned yeah. so i was like okay great it's good to know you know so all right so now take me through what's got to be the most insane day yeah. In the history of work, I mean, it's no. just... 
Come on, there's, it's it's bananas what you did. No, there's plenty of people. I'm sure every time I, I think about this, I go like, there's got to be people that have done way harder stuff. But um, for me, it was quite intense because uh, you know I've never done anything this intense. And so, so I'll pay you an average day that I did um, five to six days a week. And um, and again, I want people to know that this is completely my choice. I choose to do this, and I don't want people like Ooh, Kyle and our you know prologue. Nothing like right. that. Don't think bad of them. It's my choice. Uh, this is what I did. And oftentimes they would tell me to leave, go home. They would try to shoo me away. I was like, no, no, no. <laughs> um, okay. So yeah, I get up at like, um, I think around seven, it's around time. I get up seven o'clock, six thirty, seven o'clock, get up. Um, my buddy Nate would come pick me up and, uh, he lived right next to the train station or he didn't, he worked next to the train station. So he was my carpool to the train station, um, lived about 15, 20 minutes away from there which is great. I get to see my best friend in the morning. So that was awesome. And then I get to share my day with him and stuff. So he would take me there and um, I'd, pick, I'd pick up uh, the eight o'clock train, I believe. Yeah. To eight o'clock, I'd get on the train um, in Oceanside, uh, get on the train and then take that train um, to the center of LA, Central Station, Union, Union Central Station, I believe it's called. Uh, mm-hmm. Get off there around 10, 10, 15. Um, uh, you know, a lot of suicides would happen on the train, which would really be gnarly, and it would just destroy the commute too. Even add like another three or four hours to the commute, but um, that would happen once a month too. Unfortunately, um, I got so used to them that it became a. Um, I knew I was becoming desensitized because I was like, no, not again, you know, like, and I was thinking so selfishly when somebody had taken their life, unfortunately. Right. Horrible, you know, that's just how crazy I was getting. But anyways, I would get to the station um, and I'd get into my uh, car that I had there. I think at the time, I always remember things about like the cars because I'm a big car guy. So at, at the time, I had like a rad little Subaru Impreza that all stanced out and stuff. <laughs> and so I had that in the garage um, and then I would drive that out from the center of LA to out to, um, Santa Monica, I believe that's where the place was at the time. Uh, I think they're still there. And so I'd get to the office, uh, if everything was on time, I'd get to the office about 10 30, no, like 10 45, 11, if there's traffic get there. And that's already quite late, right? You know, get to the office yeah. at like 10 30, 11 o'clock. So I get there, um, and I just start smashing through the day. Um, work, 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 work. And then I, um, I leave at nine, we get off, you leave, um, leave the shop at nine, jump in my car, haul ass to the, the train station. Cause I cannot miss my train. Cause there's only the last one. The last one leaves at 10 o'clock from the main station, get on that train, sta- train, head back home on the train for a couple hours. Um, get off at 12. Um, my, my wife <laughs> would pack up our daughter every night and, uh, pick me up at 12, 1230 at this, like at the shady gas, at the shady station, get back home, take a shower. Cause the train smells like crap and, uh, rinse off, take a shower, get to bed around one uh, 30 or so, and then rinse and repeat it. Um, get up at six 30 and then do it all over again, uh, for the year. And, uh, sometimes, um, I would just fall asleep random spots throughout the office. So it was kind of common for people to see me sleeping on the couch or I found this really interesting like cubby thing that was like up in the garage that I had to like find a ladder to. So that was nice so I could like sleep and because <laughs> I don't like people watching me while I sleep. So like I found like this. Well, nobody does. Yeah. It's kind of creepy. <laughs> it is creepy. So I brought my sleeping bag and like toothpaste and stuff. So <laughs> yeah, I'd be crashing out at prologue and stuff, you know, and that was kind of a common thing for me to do. And uh, I just wanted it. I wanted it incredibly bad, and I still do just as much. Um, but it, back then, it was just like 
just I was working hard, hard, not smart. I was just beast moding as fast as I could and taking on as much as I could because I knew I was on borrowed time. I had a year to go. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I did for a year. So, that was a crazy commute. Now, the the question comes in like uh, a couple of things. One is, had you thought about maybe crashing at somebody's place? Yeah, I did. During I, the weekday? I would sometimes, I would sleep over at my buddy Alistair's house, who was my desk mate. He was kind enough to let me sleep at his house when we were in incredible deadlines or whatever, you know. So he was awesome about that. And he was, uh, yeah, I would sleep at his house every once in a while, too. And a lot of times people go like, Ash, why didn't you just move up there? It would have been so much easier. Um, And without getting too personal, because it's like more personal information, is when I had met my wife, I had met my daughter. My daughter was three years old when I had met my wife. And we have split custody, and we can't just leave. We can't leave from San Diego. They have in their, their marriage um, like divorce, um, contract or whatever it might be that, you know, we have to stay within a certain range. So, so I couldn't just go, okay, I'm uprooting everybody. We're moving to LA. Uh, Had we not had that? Sure. We could probably go, okay, I'm moving up there. You know, we're going to do that just so it's easier for the family. That way I can be home, you know, but it didn't work like that. And I'm sure that happens for a lot of people too. It's like, Whatever circumstance you have, you know, if you're taking care of your grandparents or whatever, you know, like you're stuck to a location. It's life. It is life. Exactly. Things happen, man. Yeah. It's not always like a, a storybook the way it's set up. No, it never is really. It's, yeah. So when when you were driving back to the train station, did you ever get into traffic and miss the train? Yeah, uh, all the time. Um, really? Yeah, train, the traffic, or like... Um, oh, the train's broken. So we're going to take oh. the you are the red, uh, um, the Greyhound. Like, oh, great. Uh, so like my two-hour commute, I'm already spent. It's Thursday. I got to be back here tomorrow morning for Friday, big meeting. And uh, I have to go home because my, my wife at the time, too, she, she couldn't sleep well without me being home, at least in the bed. So I was like, I had to come home. <laughs> just so she could sleep well, you know, and uh, it's just it's it's a sweet, you know. I was, you know, I got to be there for her and stuff, and so, um, so yeah, I would just, yeah, I'd have to take the bus, and then the bus would turn into a three and a half hour kind of thing, and then boom, get a little, little sleep. And you know, people go like, Ash, why don't you just sleep on the train? It's like it's not that easy. Like it's hard to explain. <laughs> like, yeah, it's like um, you know, there's. I'm constantly was afraid of somebody ripping me off or something. Yeah, you get uh, jacked so, on the train. Yeah, man. exactly. And the train is actually good, and I never really yeah. experienced like outside of like you know the nighttime train you take is a little heavier because it's like a lot of times it's people that are drinking and they need to take the train because mm-hmm. they went and watched like the Padres play and they're all belligerent and they want to take the train and they're just asses and stuff and yeah. um and so you got to deal with those kind of people and then you just you know you never know people are shady so it's just like hard to really get a a deep sleep on a moving object where you're thinking people are going to rip you off. So, um, it was never like easy to do that. You know, yeah. I, I, oftentimes I would. And I remember listening to the same album to fall asleep to for the year. <laughs> it was the same <laughs> one over and over and over and over and over. But there was something I would say that I would like to point out about the importance of that commute. What it brought me was it brought me this meditative state of exit and, and entry. And it allowed me to really spend time, um, rehashing and I actually kept a journal through that whole year every day I would make a write an entry in it when I got on the train I'd get it there and I'd type it all up I don't know if I, I probably still have it on my hard drive somewhere but um, it helped me get my thoughts out and help me digest what I was going through and help me understand the growth that I was encountering and help me really understand what I was um, putting myself through and and, and uh, there was moments where I wanted to quit for sure you know um, I start, I got stuck on some jobs that I, there are projects that I felt were 
just really horrible and I didn't want to be a part of them. And, um, I was really just bitchy about them <laughs> and, uh, I had no right to be, but it was just for me, I was like, I'm commuting and I'm, I'm putting my family out and I have all these things and I don't, this doesn't make me happy and you know, whatever. But, um, I was just being ungrateful, I think at the time and being as I normally, I'm very intense. So, yeah. Well, there was something also very sweet about this. I, I kind of, I know you're a fan of comics and, and, and anime and things like that, but if this were like an, an anime and, and your wife was a, a, a character and your daughter, just the, the fact that they came to the train station at 12 at night, and <laughs> yeah. I can imagine the one like lamppost that's working and <laughs> illuminating and she picks you up and you guys embrace and go home and the kid's sleeping. And yeah. There is something that's quite sweet about that. It showed me that this woman loves me and she cares about me and she supports me and um yeah I, I owe so much of my success in life as a human being to her and yeah she's incredible you know behind every great person is another great person i believe you know so man woman whatever you know but i think it's i could never have done this stuff i am the man i am because of my marriage really yeah uh, before that i was i think the reason why i was so casual and nonchalant is because i was like well I'm not taking care of anybody. I'm not in a serious point in my life where I need to care seriously about this. I have time and that was, you know, a distraction. I, all the beasts that I know are usually parents. They're like, they're just beasts. They're just savages. <laughs> mm -hmm, they're, just, mm -hmm. they're the ones that are doing the most incredible and gnarly stuff. And oftentimes they're like, how did you run that marathon? You have five kids. Well, I don't know. This is what I wanted to do. You're like, wow, like you're insane, you know? So not saying single people do. Louis C.K. has this really funny joke that I always remember when he's make, making fun of his single friend and he's talking about like if he had to leave his wife or something. Because, you know, Louis C.K. is quite brutal with his comedy, but that's what makes him so funny. Mm -hmm. As he was saying like, man, you just have to call her up and say, fuck off. And I have to like... You know, I gotta dig a hole and get some bleach. Like, it's like, <laughs> like basically, I have to kill her to leave. You know, like so. I just, right. it's just, you know, it's just, it's a bad joke, but it's quite funny because it's like it's very complicated and it's a whole different level. You know, so or yeah, the difference between priorities. You know, for people, if you like, I remember friends that didn't have kids and hearing them complain about stuff. It's just so funny, you know, and pro people probably in difficult situations in their life will be listening to this conversation and go like, that's nothing, you know, <laughs> you know, so it's all relative, I guess. And it's all perspective, right. you know, so it's, I think it's important to be constantly aware of that though. It's very important. So at least to me, so I got a, I got a couple of follow-up questions for you. Sure. Now, were you true to your word a year later and you're out? Yes, I was hundred wow. percent. Yeah, it was like, and years up, I told Kyle, I got to go. Yeah. And were you staff or freelance, permalance or whatever for that year? I was staff for the year. You were staff, mm -hmm. okay. Yeah, and so when I left... sure enough, wow. And when I left, like, I asked Kyle if mm -hmm. I could freelance, and that lasted for about a week. <laughs> Why is that? Uh, it's just trust issues, I think, and yeah. like, you know, just not being there. It just doesn't work for him. He needed that, and I don't blame him, you know, and so... I, I don't know if it's trust issues or what. I don't want to put words in his mouth, but that's what it just felt, felt like. And I felt like, you know what? I could have stayed there another year and, and grown even more, um, but I felt like it was time. I had, uh, I have to fly eventually and do my own thing, you know? So mm. Now, forget about the stuff that you learned in terms of working there, but what did you learn about yourself in that year? Oh, man. Um, I learned my extreme, I call it like my pure potential. I learned what my potential was. I learned how far I could go. 
it was like I learned the tolerance level in which I had. Um, I'm sure I could push it beyond that, but I learned what I could do um, and what I was made of and what I was capable of. And I, I learned that I was able to achieve great things if I put my mind to it. I was able to really, you know, do these things that I didn't think I could before. So that's really what it was. Those, those wow. are the big lessons. That was the biggest gift to myself was like, okay, I can achieve. I can achieve. That's what I feel like, you know, I, I can, I can make it, I can do this. If I can make this, everything else would be easier, you know? So yeah, that was it. Wow. That's, that's awesome, dude. I'm, 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 I'm writing and processing what you just said mm. because you came into it. And maybe the way you phrased it is just how your state of mind was, but you're like, I'm a failed artist. I'm a failed comic book artist. It's true. And this is my one last and only attempt at being a creative human being. Otherwise, I need to get serious about my life, right? Yeah, yeah. So true. there's a lot riding on this train ride over to Los Angeles and then over to Venice or wherever you wound up being at. Yeah. And then you're there and you're grinding away, just tired probably all the time. But Yeah. And then you make it. And you learn everything that you needed to learn and you prove to yourself that the label of failure doesn't have to be there anymore and it's a it's a taste you don't have to live with. No, it isn't. It's not uh it's not a fear that exists necessarily. It's still there, it always is there because that's what keeps you sharp, but it's not nearly as devastating as it used to be. Mm. I realize, okay, shit, I can do this, you know. I got this, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if if I if I feel like I can't, I'll just work myself Till to death, you know, to get there, you know. So mm, I'll put myself okay. through tr tremendous pain and discomfort to get to what I need to be. Uh, and sometimes that's what's just what it takes, you know. If, especially if you're forging it your own, you know. Like I didn't have, <laughs> you know, I didn't have a guide saying, "Yeah, you get to do this for a year. You fucking you figure it out." I didn't have any of that stuff. I was like, "I'm just gonna do it, and hopefully it works out," right. you know. And and uh, and and again, I must say that. A huge part of my success, if if you would call it that, is due to the people that I surround myself with. I like my loved ones, the people that are there for me, the people that uh, support me, and uh, yeah, it's like I owe this to them. I owe it to my dad. I mentioned my dad earlier. I didn't. I grew up not knowing my biological father. I never met him. Uh, I don't really care to because what's the point of that? But um, at the when I was a young boy. Um, young child um, my mom was dating my dad now um, and they were just dating casually dating and he took it upon himself to you know be my dad and I thought that was just the most beautiful thing and so when I met my wife and she had a kid I wasn't you know like oh gross I was like well okay I know this, this is very familiar I'm here I'm here to, to be here for you and for Kira and and for the family and stuff and I I owe a lot. I'm bringing my dad up and I'm making specifics because I owe a lot to him, you know, and I owe my success to him and making him proud just makes me freaking so stoked, you know, so mm. yeah, can't beat that. Wow. So, yeah. No, you can't. <laughs> it's really great. It's a great feeling to have that. When you're working at Prologue and you're starting to believe Maybe little by little, and then eventually you're like, you know, I, I can do this, and I, I could be successful at this. What did that feel like for you when you realized that? It's like, yeah, it gets me emotional thinking about it. Um, because it, it, it's just that thing. It gets me 
to that place where I feel ultimately vulnerable. Does that make sense? Ultimate success is ultimate um, vulnerability for me in a sense. It's kind of, they go in hand in hand. It's kind of weird. I have a weird way of dealing with it, but, and I, I, to this day, uh, I do not feel like I'm successful. Like I definitely, I succeed in the fact that sure, I can pay the bills and I'm able to manage a, a decent life, but um, I'm constantly never going to feel a success. Like I've gone, I have to always be better than I was yesterday. Um, maybe until I can just chill out or something or until I die or whatever <laughs> that might be. But, um, yeah, I'm just constantly at it, you know, and that feeling is, is, uh, man, I don't know. It's really hard to put on a finger on it. Honestly, it's, it's a, it's a crazy feeling it really is. Is it hard to put a finger on it because you haven't stared at it? Yeah. Or is yeah, okay. You're so good at these questions, by the way. You're getting right to it. You're like my psychiatrist. So no, that is definitely <laughs> it. I, because I think a lot of the times I I try not to acknowledge it too much because it it could be blinding. You could stare at it and go, I'm great and become an egomaniac, you know? And I don't want to become that. And I don't want to think like that. And I don't want to have that in my mind really necessarily. It's great to acknowledge like, okay, I did good there. But I don't want that to be a blinding sign in my existence of life and let it destroy me. Because so I think the ego is just horrible. It just destroy right. you. You know, you got to be careful with that it stuff. Can. So I see it destroy so many people, you know, and it's like, huh, who am I to think that I could even come close to beating that? It's like what wars are built on ego, you know, it's like crazy. Mm. Yeah. Well, let, let me ask you this. Though. I want to check the logic here. Mm. I think you're comfortable staring at the dark side of it, but not the light for some reason. Mm. Because we, every time, like I, not every time, I shouldn't say that, that's crazy, but when we talk about the light, you're quick to say, dude, I don't know, I'm not comfortable, and if I can't get there, I'll just work my way through it till I can solve it. And it gets dark again, it gets back into the... <laughs> The fighter, underdog, like, I got blood in my mouth and I'm going to claw my way out of this hole. Yeah. Like Batman out of Lazarus's pit or whatever that's called, you know? <laughs> He's going to crawl out. Yeah. And you have that mentality, even though, look at you right now, man. Like, look what you've done. And there's something that I came to the realization, and I had this conversation with another designer. This, this other designer who said, you know, one day I realized I made $100,000, and that's more than my dad made. And it blew me away when I realized that. And we would sit down like, you're making this money to do design work? That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Or then he was able to um, buy a house or pay down something that his family thought that was not possible in your normal lifetime. You're supposed to work and pay taxes and, and pay payments the rest of your life. And he was able to do it. And so I think... Maybe just for you, uh, if you had some kind of objective measure when you thought, you know what, at some point in time, I thought this was like you made it. Just so that you know you've already surpassed that by like fivefold. Yeah. Yeah, it's difficult. Yeah. It's definitely there, though. I definitely feel it. But it's like, yeah, because I've hit those moments. I've made mm-hmm. obscene amount of money doing what I do. But then you go mm-hmm. like, well, money is not everything. It's just like a... It, it, money is I had a real weird time with money because I grew up incredibly poor so it's like to go from being really poor to being semi-wealthy off of art and design it's like whoa this is weird you know it's completely um, unexpected um, but then I think what you learn from that experience is that 
life is what you make it as a creative person. You could print money. You're basically a money ma machine if you decide to be. Uh, an art prostitute is what I also call it. You're mm -hmm. like, damn, you're going dark again. But that's... <laughs> <laughs> I was like kind of basking in the light for a minute, and you're like, art prostitute, wait, wait, wait. What happened? Yeah, well, but I mean, yeah. I don't know what it is. It, it, it might just come from bad habits. You know, my friend Chris, he, he's constantly reminding me of these, like he gives me these great tips and advice, and, and a lot of them are visual because he knows, understands this how I operate and work and think. And he's like, you know, you got to think about life as being like these ruts, you know, and your habits and your habits are deep, you know, you got some deep habits and probably what you're talking about comes from like, just kind of the, the thuggish way I grew up, I guess, you know, I don't want to say thuggish, but it's like growing up in the ghetto and the poverty and dealing with all that stuff. And then, you know, hating rich people and shit like that, stupid stuff, you know, like, yeah. but then having those deep seated things are just like you got to keep it real you know like keep it real because it's not about like that it's in in, in your and you're lucky to get the hand that you're that you're dealt and you do it the best that you can with it you know and that might sound totally backwards to most people and i totally understand that um but you got to be caught like be aware that i was never really trained or educated and, and well versed in the form of understanding wealth and every day is a journey um, for me to really understand it and, and, and to appreciate it you know it's a quite dynamic thing um it's a struggle honestly it is a success is a, is a struggle for me um i really do appreciate it but oftentimes i don't know what to do with it properly so mm. yeah and this is like I, I definitely like i said i definitely appreciate it i just don't know how to process it properly <laughs> so yeah. yeah um yeah well you know you mentioned before kind of having to be on your own since a very early age i think you said 14 mm, yeah and you have complete like survivor's mentality right like you you were kind of like you said you, you you grew up in poverty and you just had to make it on your own so maybe the idea of having things is not a comfortable thing for you mm. like you're more comfortable because your formative years were knowing like to not have and so to have, and there's associations on this stuff that maybe is making you feel something other than what it is. Like success is tainted because the rich people that you saw, you hated them at the beginning because it's like, why don't we get that? Like what made them so special? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, it's right on the head again. I think that um, that's really what it is. A lot of it's just like pro programming, uh, old yeah. bad programming. Um, weird programming, dealing with weird stuff and just trying to figure out how to translate it properly. And, um, you know, uh, my success in life, I think is going to come from me understanding how to, un to, to digest those things dynamically and to become a more balanced person. You know, the more balance I can achieve, I think that's going to be the sign of success. And perhaps like what I mean by like not feeling completely successful is based on the, the madness that I live within internally. Most it's all, it's mm -hmm. all existed in my head really, you know? So, um, yeah, yeah. It's a weird thing. It is a weird thing. Constantly like just trying to find that flow and, and, you know, living with it, I guess on a daily basis. So. I want to transition. Sure. Okay. So the transition here is you're now a bona fide designer. You're making a living doing design work mm. and you're on the tips of people's tongue when they're looking for help 
in the creative space, especially when it comes to film. You've, we've talked about that a little bit. Yeah. There's this other part of you that I really want to talk about as well. It's the, the whole learn squared thing. Hmm, yeah. And tell, tell me what that's about and tell me your partners, your structure. I want to know more about that. Oh, yeah. That's a big one. Um, so, yeah, learn squared um, is what it's called. It's an online art education platform. I guess that we, if I could sum it up into words um, quickly, uh, it's, it's many different things, but one it mainly is, it's to dispel the myth that you got to be this talented, gifted person. One of the things I hate the most is when people like, they come up, Oh, you do art. Oh, you must be talented. It's like, you're just dismissing all these years of hard work and pain, sweat and tears and effort that it takes for me to get good. And so I, I really firmly believe that anybody can learn this just like in Ratatouille, you know, like anybody can cook, you know? So, um, so I, that's kind of like where it kind of comes from. Um, so it's, I have partners, one of my, two of my partners is, uh, Mache Kuchada, who's an incredible designer, artist. I, I guess he, he, he goes on the title concept artist, but he's incredible. He's been working in the film and game industry for forever. And he's just insane, insanely good. And then Andrew Harlick, who was my partner with the collective podcast, and he's just like has incredible insight on so many different things and he gives us a completely different perspective because you need that in a company you need to have these different perspectives as much as we butt heads um it's 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 in, it's invaluable that's why the school works because uh the three of us are working at it trying to you know hitting it from all different angles um so yeah learn squared is that it's um it's been incredibly powerful it's changed people's lives many people's lives so far it's been incredible to see the transformation people have been taking with it um, yeah. And, and mainly the, the structure and the way it works is, uh, at this moment in time, and it, it will possibly change in the future, but the structure of the school is basically two professionals from different, um, skill sets, say a designer and a concept artist teach one another, their skills and their traits, their proficient skills and traits. And in the interim of doing that, they also educate everybody else by showing them that journey of educating themselves. And so what it's doing is saying like, hey, Ash isn't a concept artist, but he's learning from a really great one. Watch how Ash deals with, you know, the oddities of having to, you know, deal with this complex, I don't know, how to paint something or whatever it might be. And so it's due to inspire and help show people that anything is possible if they really want it and to really get people up and get them going and get them excited about, you know, creating and their, and their careers and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. So, um, in a nutshell, that's kind of what it is. It's an open, very direct and honest. We do Twitch streams all the time. And if you've been a part of our Twitch stream, you know, there's like tons of butt jokes and like, we're just super dumb and silly. And it's just like hanging out in in school with your buddies and talking about art and things you love. And that's really what matters to me too. So, um, I didn't know that I would necessarily find myself doing this and it was actually like pulling teeth to get me to make my, my own first class. I was really nervous and self-conscious as you probably can tell. Like Lizzie mentioned, I go to the dark space quite quickly. <laughs> so, um, yeah, with, with the school, I mean, it's, you know, it's my partners, it's them and it's them being a part of that. And obviously showing me that, um, ushering me along into this process and, um, yeah. So I don't know if I necessarily answered it, but it's, well, how, how was I do birth? Uh, it, it was created, Mache and I were working on ghost in the shell, um, the feature film together and he was doing all this wicked stuff and we were working together on the film and I was like, Hey, how are you doing that? What is that? And I just kept asking him questions 
And at the time, he was doing these things called gum roads, which are these tutorials, online tutorials that artists are able to do. You just make your thing and you throw it up there. And like some of my friends made a freaking killing um, out of it. And so he was, he kept saying, like, Ash, go make a gum road, blah, blah, blah. You'll make a killing. And I was like, yeah, yeah, maybe. And, and I was like, I was just really hesitant to it, you know? And, um, and I said, how about this? I said, you teach me how you're doing this stuff on Ghost in the Shell, and I'll teach you how I'm doing my stuff on Ghost in the Shell, and we'll make uh, tutorials out of it. And he was like, oh, that's a great idea. And so, uh, and then, yeah, we talked and talked with An- Anthony Jones, who was uh, also a partner at the time, and then uh, Andrew, and we're like, okay, I think we can do this. And we start putting the ideas together and figuring out the structure, and, you know, it just gets, it's, it's a massive train at this point. It's becoming like a huge like structure at this point. It's it's daunting at this point too because it's not as nimble. And it's and we're only like four people involved in the company and two plus two more contractors that we hire from time to time for help. But um, it's I don't even know. I don't even understand how these bigger companies <laughs> dynamically move. Uh, say Apple or any of these other companies, but that was kind of the origin. It was mostly like a very raw and honest and direct place about curiosity and eagerness to learn and, 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 and grow. And that's where everything came from. And the success that you've had with it, did it come to you as a surprise or did you anticipate that this was what's going to happen? Yeah, I didn't expect it. Honestly, and my class is hugely popular. Um, it's massive. It's just game changing. It's like, wow. Okay. Well, there goes my life has changed now. Um, mm-hmm. and I didn't expect it. Honestly, I felt like, uh, maybe it'll be successful, you know? And I think a lot of it, I would honestly attribute to the podcast. People know me through the podcast and they're familiar with who I am through that. And I think, um, there's not a lot of like people doing what I do. I suppose there's, there's a lot of companies that are sprouting up more and more every day which is cool. But it's like, I think that I, I didn't have a saturated market of entry, you know? So what I was offering was quite unique, I guess. And I think that's what made it a success, you know? So, yeah. So you talked a little bit about the podcast and that's how people got to know you. So how long have you been doing your podcast and what kind of following do you have? Man, I don't know. I don't know how long. <laughs> it just, I started doing it probably three years ago or so. We're on episode like one. 58 now um used to do them every week now i do them twice a month because it just with learn squared and all my other endeavors it got insane um but yeah i've been doing it for a while now i even had you on so there you go yeah (laughs) i love the apparently uh, you will take anybody yeah no no i you know the you know we talked about in the episode but the 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 lure that sunk me in was um you know the the thing that you did with motionographer talking about the bricklayering stuff and I thought wow what freaking interesting are you I love what you're doing this is really cool it's very provocative and it you're like you're questioning things and I was like and I could see that people would get pissed about it so it's like okay I'm gonna gonna have you on here and because there was a lot of things I wanted to talk about with you that I felt warranted uh, further evaluation further conversation so and you're mm-hmm. kind enough to join me on the podcast. And some people have told me that's the best episode they've ever listened to. So there you go. Wow. Yeah, I love it. You know, you and I have done the podcast dance for actually a little bit of time <laughs> because I think it was one of my creative directors, Greg Gunn, who came in and said, like, dude, I think I heard you on uh, Ash's podcast. <laughs> I think you were talking to Justin Cohn or I don't know how it came up, but my name was mentioned for like a blip. And I said, let me reach out to Ash. And then we were exchanging and it just didn't happen. Yeah. So it's interesting that the bricklayer actually has been my touchstone to a lot of people. Mm. Uh, mentioned Justin Cohn. And, That's right. And then you. 
some of the things I say, and I don't look in hindsight, I realize this that would make people angry, but I didn't think at the time and my mouth opens and I was thinking, <laughs> isn't this what everybody thinks? Yeah. And I say it and then all of a sudden people get really angry at me. I'm like, oh man, I don't I don't want anybody mad at me, but okay. I still believe what I believe and yeah. that's quite all right. But I, I'm glad that that was the thing that triggered a conversation and now I feel like a friendship's developing and we're able to exchange ideas. And so yeah, I wish you lived closer. Knew? I would love to just hang out and get food with you and just talk and yeah, like develop a friendship. Cause I really feel that you, you know, you have a lot to offer in regards to as a friendship because you've already helped mentor me on some things that I felt were quite dynamic and difficult for me to overcome personally, which I think is, you know, it's, I, you know, you, success is usually defined by surrounding yourself that people that are better than you, you know, and people that mm. are, uh, they just figured it out. And so, yeah, no, definitely. And that is cool. I totally forgot about that because you used to, and you used to, you emailed me and stuff and not to sound cocky at all. Cause it's not it at all. Cause collective podcast, there is a decent following of it, but I don't even, mm -hmm. I don't, to be honest, I don't check numbers. I don't care. I just like, I do it put it up there. Andrew and I do it together. Andrew produces a show. I interview people. I just put it up there and go, here you go. Like it's whatever. If you don't listen to it, I don't care. If you want to listen to it, awesome. If it helps your life, even better. Like, and, um, I, I stopped doing it for a little bit and, um, people were like, dude, where's the podcast? They were like, right. Uh, I didn't realize how important it was to people in their lives until I stopped doing it. And I just got this outcry of people like please bring it back it's very important to me i love the show please don't stop doing it i miss it you know so that was really great you know and if that's nice it is awesome and i feel that i'm blessed to have great people that um, are willing to share their time with us and not every episode's amazing not everybody's great at conversing but there's some people and for the most part it's like i'm meeting you for the first time let's have an intimate conversation now you know right, right. <laughs> it's very difficult to do so but it's 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 also helped me tremendously with listening and learning which i really need to get better at every day Before we let this thing kind of wind down, I know we want to talk about cars. I want to dig deeper into your childhood, some of your, your trigger points and reflection. I don't even know if I have time. There's no way I can get all that stuff. But let me let me just maybe plant the seed for a future conversation, a follow-up, sure. maybe multiple conversations with you. Whatever you like. Right? If we can't do it in person, maybe we just continue this way. Like like how Learn Squared is like two guys talking about stuff. Yeah. Maybe this is our version of it. I don't know. There you go. But okay, so I'm gonna throw this back at you here. So I want, I just want to kind of look at the Ash Empire a little bit here. If you were to break down all the ways in which you make money, if if it's like a hundred dollars, where does each dollar come from? Like from professional work, what percentage would account for that? From Learn Squared versus your art projects or anything else that you're doing? Yeah. How does that look like? Because. I think the, the whatever you say is going to surprise me. Yeah, definitely. So, um, so my personal projects, I made nothing from. The what I make from right. is you know pure enjoyment and what I love to do. That's usually where I put all my work and time into. Usually, anyways, um, professional work. You know, the thing is, I could kill it and just be fine working as a professional. I, I charge anywhere from eight to fifteen hundred dollars a day. You know what I do. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and that ranges in scales. And sometimes depending on how I bid jobs out, sometimes I'll make three, sometimes I'll make five grand a day. It doesn't, it just depends on how it works. People are listening like, what the hell? When I first, when I first <laughs> probably was doing this, I was, <laughs> yes, they are right about Yeah, now. because you know, you're thinking yeah. like, oh, you know, as an artist, you're just making whatever, but it's how you structure things. If you, if right. you're curious about this stuff too, you should check out Alan McKay. He's a friend of mine and he does. He's uh he's very good at business and he's talks all the time publicly about how he made a half a million dollars doing what he does, you know. So but that's a lot of how you structure jobs. And I'm sure you're quite aware of that because you run studios and you know, overhead and how you bid and if you're underbid and all that stuff, you get you get over you get overload and all that kind of stuff. Um so so in a hundred dollars if you were to say break it down and, and to say like a percentage, I guess, um I make all my money off of uh of client work, but then also you add in this extra nugget from learn squared and learn squared is like my goal with learn squared is to freedom. I want freedom. I want freedom to say, I don't want to do that job right now. I want to just do this other thing that I'm interested in. It's freedom money. And so right now it's taking care of about 70 to 60% of my daily or my, my monthly bills, my monthly cut, um, which is awesome. I'm trying to get it to a hundred percent. Um, and that's just developing new classes. I'm sure if I drop another class, it'll take care of me for the rest of the year. So I can just focus on other things. Um, I have other ambitions and designs and ideas of things that I want to make. And I'm trying to figure out ways of making products that I can sell without feeling like a sellout necessarily feeling okay about it. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much the ratio. So I make more than I should even care to do because I'm just hustling. I'm like, yeah, I'll do that job. Oh, this project. Okay. I'll do that too. Oh yeah. I'll make a class too. That's it's so, but the ratio, if I were to say like, if I just worked on minimal client work and the school, um, take, took care of my, my cost of living, which isn't huge, but it's a pretty big nugget to just, you know, pay for my family to exist out here and the life we style we have. Um, yeah, it's about 70 to 60%. So Mm. Yeah, and is there any percentage in there for any of the merch stuff that you do, like limited prints, or do you sell any of that stuff? I do, and um, honestly, I, I make it just like my wife and I do it. Just be um, like we talk about it, kind of like it's just more or less like a hobby to get the stuff out there, and it's not like um, I haven't taken it seriously, like you mentioned having like Aaron Draplin on. I imagine his ratios yeah. is going to be a lot heavier on that. And I, I, I think from where he lives in the world and his cost of living, I can't imagine to be huge, but I'm not sure. Um, San yeah. Diego is incredibly expensive to live here. Might as well be in Hawaii or somewhere in paradise. So, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, from the merch side, it's very small. Let's say like, I don't even consider it, but it's probably like, you know, thousand or so, a month maybe or 500 or I don't even pay attention to it, honestly. So it's a very small percentage. Though. Yeah. You know, it's funny Relative when I was in college, I made $8,000 in the year, you know, it's like, man, I was like just barely making it by. And it's so funny to make that kind of money. Just like it's done, you know? <laughs> like, and, and that is not even a lot of money anyways. You know, it's like, and, and as a, as a, as a money machine, that's what you are as an artist, as a designer, a creative person, um, you can make as much money as you desire. You can print it. Basically you come up with a great idea. Boom. You sell a great idea. Boom. You design something great. Boom. You work for somebody you design something great, be invested in that. Boom. There's money. And the smarter <laughs> you are about it, the more that that money just while well, you sleep. The biggest thing I love right. is you sleep, you go to sleep and you're richer when you wake up from sleeping. 
you know that's that's the dream that's smart shit that's a dream man but yeah. it's not even a dream it's a reality if you desire it you know it really is you think so hell yeah well i'm a proof of it you know like well okay all right all right we can't end on that i i gotta dig in here a little bit here <laughs> is uh, that though you're the second person who said to me today it's like money you can print it you want it you just make yeah. it now i think you guys are saying something that's a little bit different than the maybe the way it sounds Sh- sure no, I'm literally printing it legally. No, I'm joking. No, no, I know. <laughs> Kids are like working on the scanner and counterfeiting right now. No, but I think what you're saying and what I'm hearing, because I'm just looking from the outside in here, is I see a guy who's just pouring his heart and soul into personal projects, into the podcast, and then just by way of circumstance, you create a whole school to teach people what it is that you do. Yeah. What you've done is you've created a following you're strong in the social game. So when you want to, let's just say, if you wanted to make more money, you can print more Lost Boys posters or something or anything. And then people will buy it because they want to support you. I love them. Same thing with Droplin, right? Yeah, yeah. He's he's definitely definitely that. that. That's where he's at. And you can definitely do that. Now, I don't think every designer out there has that same opportunity. Totally. And the, the lesson that they need to learn from you and, maybe for me one day is to say, you know what, if you have a story, if you have um, some kind of vision art and you want to share it with the world, you got to start building up your audience. And when you do that, then you can print as much money as you want. Yes, that's true. And thank you for bringing it back down to earth because it probably sounds so nebulous and abstract. And I hate when people do that. <laughs> so thank you. Cause you know, you're it's, it's just clear in your mind. It's all, you know, yes, it's a, uh, in, you know, I, to be completely honest and correct, I wasn't able to be a money mate printing machine when I was working at Prologue. No way. I was able to make right. the basic bare minimum of uh, living basically. Um, the moment I started to fall in love with the idea of business and understand what business is and how to navigate money and to appreciate money and to look at it as a good thing rather than a hindrance, that's when the game changed. That's when it's like, okay, here we go. Let's do this. Let's start printing this stuff, you know? And then you get to the point for me, it's like, um, you wanted to talk about cars. So growing up, I was incredibly poor. Um, what we lacked with my mom, my mom raised me as a single mom. I don't know how she did it freaking powerful people man i don't understand it's like a, it's crazy so i my heart goes out to her because what we lacked with you know money and stuff we made up for with experiences and love you know my mom had a lot of love for me she she gave me everything she could with what she had and so um but not having money it's like damn and so growing up leaving and going out on my own um i got my first car for my brother he gave me passed down a car it was a 72 plymouth valiant and I was like, oh, this is cool. This is interesting. And I, I started falling in love with it. I was like, oh, this is awesome. And then the second car I got was like this little Honda Civic hatchback. I was like, oh, this is awesome. It's fast and so fun. And and then it just started spiraling. And it's like an inside joke for everybody that knows me personally. They know I've owned like 35 cars or something like that because I got obsessed <laughs> like everything else. And so um, what I realized quickly was that I couldn't support my car addiction, my addiction for like modifications, wheels, tires, exhaust, engine building, all that kind of stuff. I couldn't support it and be a poor, starving artist. I had to turn it up and figure out a way to make that money to support my love and desire of uh, things like involving cars and stuff. And a big part of my success is due to my obsession and love of material objects such as cars, which is really unhealthy and quite stupid but I love it. It's like something that makes me so happy. (laughs) So, um, yeah, that's kind of like, 
I, I attribute a lot of my success in life to my love and desire of um, automotive. And that's I'm shifting a lot of my time and attention into that space. That's where I really enjoy. I enjoy that stuff. So, yeah. So the cars were, you know what? God, you know, there's a lot of overlap. I, I'm not trying to say this like I'm trying to get on your good side and getting some brownie points, but, man, you talked about a lot of things that I really just connect to. Yeah. Like, I remember when I was in high school, uh, I was looking at um, an Alfa Romeo spider. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, classic. Right? Yeah. And I was, like, thumbing through, I don't know what magazine it was. Maybe it was GQ magazine. And don't ask me, why, like, why I was looking at GQ magazine. Yeah. Uh, my my birth father was a GQ model, actually. That's what my mom said. So, yeah. Really? <laughs> yeah, it's funny. That's where the good looks come no, from, no, huh? I look like crap. Look at that. <laughs> I'm, I'm a beat-down haggard <laughs> guy now, so, yeah. <laughs> But, you know, my mom and dad saw me staring at these things, and they said, you know, if you get into uh, Stanford or Berkeley or one of these great schools, we'll buy you whatever car you want, and you can have that. And I never got it because my grades were not good enough. I was not that focused. But <laughs> it's interesting. You talk about cars and how they motivate you to go and figure out your life. Yeah. It's like you have a goal, and what, it doesn't really matter what your goal is. It could be about having 10,000 cookies, yeah. uh, whatever it is you want. Yeah. And use that to drive you to achieve yeah. catalyst. And I had a Honda Civic too. It was the first car <laughs> I ever bought yeah. with my own money. And it was through just a, a tragic set of circumstances that that's why I, I bought the car. Like my other car, my, did it get stolen the, too? My hand me down. No, it was, it just broke down in the middle of the freeway. Oh. Somebody else was driving it. Uh, a friend of mine said, can I borrow your car? I'm like, sure. And it got stuck on the 110 freeway, which is super dangerous. Yeah, that's sketchy because there's know? no like side pass yeah. on there. Yeah. There's nothing. Yeah. It's like you turn the corner too fast. And Boom. I was like, are you hurt? Everything's okay. Okay, fine. And that's why I had to buy another car. Damn. I, mine got stolen. Yeah. And then I'd get another oh. one. Yeah, I've, yeah, it's so, such a shitty thing. But yeah. <laughs> okay, so what are, you, uh, what are you driving around today? What's your everyday car? So everyday car, we, my wife and I... Um, conservative and we bought the newest civics funny we i went all the way at the full circle so <laughs> now we have the 2017 or 16 or whatever civic i just love it it's self-driving basically it's great gas mileage it's awesome it's comfortable and it's, it's pretty space age uh, they're right? they're awesome man they're so well designed honda makes a great car yeah. so um i mean before that i had like a five series and we had three series and it's just like okay who am i trying to be you know <laughs> like i mean i love those cars they're amazing they're so well made and they're just you know but they're german they maintain the maintenance and stuff is a just a it's a plumber so and then we had a we have like a like a 2014 ford focus i think or ford escape mm -hmm. <laughs> suv so those are like the two like normal people cars which i it's important to have those things and it's probably sounds so stupid to have so many cars and then the third car um which i haven't been able to drive for like a year now because we've been re doing complete engine rebuild on it and a lot of other things is my 93 Acura NSX and that's my beast machine that's the thing that like I live near the mountains and stuff and I love going up in the canyons and just like flooring it and having fun and just I don't know it's therapy you know and, and when I see the thing when I'm existing in it I'm enjoying that space I just feel like I just feel like I've figured it out a little bit and, I, and a lot of my doubts kind of subside and I just feel comfortable and it's, it's like a peaceful place for me, you know, so, yeah. and taking care of it and maintaining it and cleaning it and all that kind of stuff and educating myself through the experience of maintaining it and stuff. And I've never done a complete engine rebuild like this. Um, and I'm not saying that I'm doing it. I have a professional doing it because there's no way I would have time to do that even if I wanted to. 
and the education to do it because it's a supercar. So you can't just go in there and go, yeah, I'm going to use my, you know, my, my basic tools to get in here. I mean, you could technically, but anyways, it's an incredible machine. Um, and it's just one of those things that's my trigger and it's a beast and I love it and it's going to be done soon and it's going to be even more of a terror. So it's going to be awesome. So yeah, <laughs> it's super loud. It's crazy freaking gorgeous looking and it's just a, total savage and it demands respect everywhere it goes <laughs> everybody <laughs> now where's the time on a car yeah. right <laughs> yeah i know where it's i mean it's it's like uh you know i'm driving on the, like everybody knows that that car is that is a car person they see it and it's not an average just stock one it's fully set up and like it's all completely mm. black black rims everything is black on it and so it just looks like a beast and it's very low and it's like yeah it's I'll come up next to like, you know, quarter million dollar Porsches and they're like, thumbs up, dude. It's awesome. You know, and again, if you're not a car person, you're listening to me, I sound like the biggest douche, probably the idiot. (laughs) But if you are a car person and you know what I'm talking about, you know, and so if you're not a car person, what's wrong with you? No, (laughs) No, don't do it, please. I have friends that like, maybe I'll get in cars. Like, don't do it. It's the worst because it's just the worst thing. (laughs) Yeah, because it's just it's just full of heartache and and drama. (laughs) yeah now do you feel somewhat guilty or self-conscious when you drive it or talk about your car Uh, a little bit because like i'm also at the same time very um conscious of you know the detriment that it causes to the environment a la like fuel consumption and, and pollution and all that stuff but um uh yeah i mean that a little bit of that is there and then um but other than that it's like i don't mean that though. oh forget about the gas mileage and the CO2 emissions. I'm talking about like you, we, we talked about how you grew up with nothing mm. and then now you have this supercar, six figure car, you know, and that and maybe it's, does it feel like I, I have a way to respond to this, but I just want to get your, like I deserve first, it, which is like, you're not like it's too decadent. Like why it like you're, I don't know. Do you, I just asked the question, like, do you feel, like, self-conscious about that part of it? No. Like, it's too flashy or something? No, it's it's definitely, like, I'll show you pictures of it. It's not flashy. Uh-huh. It's it's hard to explain. It okay. It's like um like a beautiful gun, I guess, if that makes sense. It's not out there being flamboyant orange and, like, lights mm-hmm. everywhere. It's right. just a freaking beast. It's like brass knuckles on a gnarly hand or something. I don't know how to explain it. <laughs> it's just a weapon. It, it just looks aggressive it demands respect it's weird i don't know it just it's a persona thing i guess you know people have dogs they look like their dogs you know like you know i'm perhaps just wanting to be this i'm not necessarily like aggressive person <laughs> perhaps in jujitsu i do like i don't like I, i'm a i'm a different person like in the mats and yeah. stuff it's a different thing um but I, it's not like um i'm you know, you see those guys like the big trucks. You know, oh, what are you compensating for? You know, and, and a lot of yeah. times people are insecure in themselves and they judge people on those kind of things. And I get that um, because it is kind of silly, you know. But yeah. for me, it's like it's you know, you sit there and you look at a beautiful painting and appreciate it. I sit there and I yeah. look at a beautiful car and I sit there and appreciate it. I look at it yeah. way beyond a painting because I go, okay, that's great. The painting's awesome. And I just went to the Louvre recently and it was just incredible. But uh, I look at a car and I go, okay, this not only looks beautiful, but it functions beautifully. And that's the thing I think was really key. And that's what I'm getting at with the NSX is it at the time, it is the king of kings, in my opinion. And the way that I've built this car, it's like 400 uh, horsepower to the wheels. It's completely like race suspension. Like it's a legitimate car. And it's like, it's, it's like Honda made it 
but Nick and I and the people in past that owned it have engineered it to be even better in my opinion. And so it's like, it's just awesome thing. You know, this is great experience machine and it's a memory machine. I go and drive with friends and we'll, you know, like throw them around and they have really freaking laugh like crazy kids and to see them like they're on a roller coaster or something. You know, it's like, this is a great experience machine. And, uh, yeah, I, I really do appreciate it. Honestly, I do. And I've gone through crazy withdrawals over the year of not having it. I'm just like, oh, where's my car? Like, let's get this done already, you know? I'm incredibly <laughs> impatient. I'm just like, you got to hurry up and finish it, you know? So I, I was even just calling him today. Where? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's he's been cool because I basically go down to his shop and he he's like a, he's one of the, the few in the world that does what he does because he mainly only works on NSXs and they're quite rare cars and they're really, really reliable if you don't go around and being a jerk off with, with them like I do. And he has just tons of them and he's he I just go there and I take a lot of photographs. I've, I got thousands of photographs of the build and he'll, I ask him every question and he just has all these awesome answers at every turn. I'm like, this is so cool. <laughs> I get to learn about this piece of art that I admire and I love. And going back to the painting, it's like, it's a painting that moves. It's a painting that you experience. It's a painting that, uh, that creates memories. It's, it's for me, it's like, it's the d- design dimensionalized, you know, it's this incredible thing that, I just simply adore and worship <laughs> unhealthily. <laughs> I do. It's so stupid. I could, I could sit for hours going like, who the car, you know, not just my car. Yes, but- <laughs> apparently you can. Yeah. You know, it's obvious. Uh, your affection for the car yeah. is infinite. <laughs> and I, I love that. I mean, this is, is great. This is the one possibly thing we've talked about where there is no darkness. It's just all positivity. Oh, there is. The only darkness yeah, is, is like, when can we get back together again? <laughs> yeah. That was yeah, it. Yeah, I know. So maybe maybe that's the way we end there you this. Go. I mean, yeah. I was asking you because I was just trying to maybe uh, graft my guilt onto you, but apparently it didn't no. work. No. So <laughs> get that shit out of here. Was, <laughs> yeah, apparently. Yeah. Mostly I was just thinking, sometimes I tell my wife, you know, I work really hard. Yeah. And I'm deeply passionate about what I do. And sometimes there's just something that I just have to have a guilty indulgence. And let me just have that thing because that's what drives me to get up every morning and grind away at night. I, I thought that you and I were like, yep, that's, we just need that totem that it could be anything. It could be a watch, it could be a hat. It doesn't matter what it is, but that's the thing that keeps us like pushing. You know, it's like, I, I need a marker to hit so that once I get there, I can achieve that and I'll just set a new marker. Yeah, yeah, because you have a, a nice car as well. I think you have a Panamera or something like that, right? No, no, no. no what no. do you got? You got something crazy. I drive. No, I don't drive anything crazy. You used to? My wife. No, no, no. My wife has a Tesla and I drive a Mini Cooper. That's all. Oh, Mini Coopers are but great, I but yeah, that's not you. a crazy. But it doesn't matter. No, no, that's no, no, a numbers like a car. It's, it's an car. experience car. and. That's all. Yeah. Ex- that's all cars are. You can drive a little beater that has a little bit of horsepower, and you're just having the most fun in the canyons. Who cares? It doesn't have to be some like extraordinary, like you know, oh, Motor Trends car of the year. Who cares? Like it's what right. you like. You know, that's what matters. What you appreciate. Well, Teslas are epic too, by me, the way. <laughs> Teslas are awesome. Yeah, they're pretty awesome. Now, for me, the the car is just. Uh, I don't have the same passion as you, but there is a car in my heart. That one and I've made it's a Lamborghini it or something airports. that you have in the magazine. Yes, I yeah. told you it's a very certain kind of Lamborghini, yeah. and it looks like a demon. Yeah. Is it Diablo? Like it. No, is it Diablo? No, it's not the Diablo. Countach? I, is it Countach? I, you know, I love the Countach, yeah. like growing up. But I'm actually a fan of some of the modern. Oh, stuff, they're crazy. 
like I don't know anything about the horsepower or whatever you're talking about. I just look at its pure sculpture. Oh, it is. Yeah, it, that shit doesn't and matter I at like, this point because it's so stupid fast that it doesn't matter. <laughs> right, and I'm not a, even a guy who likes to race, so that's not even it. But I just I like art and the geometry of the design. Oh, yeah. I, I want to say it's a commercial logo or something, mm. but it's not. It, there was a limited edition one, and I just can't remember. But I have the wallpaper of it. So. Yeah, no, they're just they're in a different realm. It's moving art. That's what it is. Yeah. yeah. I love the way that you describe yours though, like it's brass knuckles for the road, man. <laughs> it is. That's what it feels like. It's it just <laughs> and it looks like that too and it demands respect. I, I, sometimes you, you probably laugh at me. My friends will hang out and then we'll, we'll drive let each other drive each other's cars, you know, so we could look at them driving <laughs> cuz it's like you're sitting in them the whole time. You can't really appreciate it. So you like no. you let your friend drive you like, "Okay, this is sick." <laughs> You have the worst view. <laughs> you do. You have the worst view ever inside the car because you're like, yeah. it's almost like you're in the painting looking at people watching. You're like, okay. Like, but when you're driving around it, like, damn, that's sick. <laughs> it's so silly. I have a huge problem with it. It's a it's massive crazy. problem. So, yeah. <laughs> well, it's, you've obviously put a lot of thought into this because oh, yeah. you've got so many ways of describing it. Oh, yeah. Well, years, years of it. Well, years of obsession. So, yeah. <laughs> this will be a time capsule because hopefully, like, the things, the way that things shift in my life. I'm going to be putting more time and dedication and towards automotive or just things that I really appreciate. I'm actually working on something really interesting right now on the passion side of things that I think will really stir up things and open up a whole new avenue of interesting opportunities. So, yeah. Well, that's great. Yeah. So we'll have to check back yes. and see where, we're, where you're at with this new thing that you can't talk about. Just Thank yet. you so much. Appreciate it. Hey, this is Ash Thorpe, and you are listening to The Future. future is hosted by me, Chris Doe. The show is edited by Stuart Schuster. Special thanks to my good friend Adam Sanborn for composing the main title and producing the audio for this episode. You can check him out at adamsanborn.com. We've used his music library, which can be found at electricbrainpublishing.com. Additional contributions by Leaving Richmond, Stephen Hayes, and Evan Enner. To subscribe to the Future Podcast, check us out on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and now SoundCloud. Make sure you rate and review our episodes. Don't miss out on upcoming events, live streams, workshops, and announcements by going to thefuture.com and sign up for the newsletter link at the bottom. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at The Future Is Here. Thanks for listening. That's it for this episode. See you in the future.